Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 1258, air date July 10th, 2023. Good evening, everyone, or good morning, or good afternoon, wherever you are. This is Dr. Shiva Ayadurai. I'm going to be doing an interview with a journalist in India today, and the title is going to be um, on yoga and what is a real yogi. You may have heard the term yogi, and... Um, my view is a yogi is an uncompromising warrior for truth, freedom, and health, and, or truth, freedom, health. And a yogi is, is an individual where their personal integrity and their public integrity are one. Their words match their deeds. Uh, there are people today who try to get away with this concept by saying that, you know, your public integrity and your private integrity are different and your actions don't have to match their deeds. And many of you know, uh, I'm the founder of the system of truth, freedom, and health. And also, as you can see below, uh, running for U.S. president. So we're going to have a very interesting interview uh, 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 with an um, uh, interviewer from India. And I uh, hope you enjoy this. Let me bring her in one second. Uh, there we go. Okay, Abhilash, are you there? Hello? Yeah. Okay, great. How are you doing? Let me bring you in. Okay, okay good. So uh, we're doing our interview today with Abhilesha. Maybe you should just let people know who you are and, and what we're going to be talking about. Go ahead. Yes. So uh, today we have uh, Dr. Shiva Ayadurai with us. He is known for his invention of email. And uh, he is scientist, he is politician, uh, that much I know it. And I think you have started seven uh, companies that's right. Well, it's actually been a few more, yeah, but um, at, at least seven successful companies in, in the high-tech area. Yeah, well, let me begin by, um, first of all, to your audience, um, before I go into that. I mean, where do you want me to start? I mean, I think the best place to start, Abhilesha, is to let people know that ultimately um, what my mission in life is to really educate the world on system science. You know, what are systems? And, um, and to everyone listening, they should understand that when I post my videos particularly recently on YouTube and these particularly on other channels, um, there is a very, very, you know, censorship in the United States has not ended with Elon Musk and also talk about that. In fact, uh, we, we should talk about predictive analytics and what's going on, but I recommend everyone, um, every Indian particularly should know who invented email. And so you should share this video uh, widely. And I know people have known it for a while, but it should be known much more wider, not only in India, but throughout the world, because the invention of email is really not about me, but it's a story of the fact that innovation, um, which is really an expression of one's creativity and solving problems, occurs anytime, any place, by anybody. And unfortunately, that what I just shared with you, the fact that innovation, which is creation, takes place anytime, any place, by anybody. If you believe in the concept of a divine being, 
Um, that means divinity is within anyone. So anyone who tries to contain that and say, oh, you have to go to MIT or IIT or Silicon Valley, and then you become an innovator, um, that is in many ways against many, many fundamental laws of nature. And so what's fascinating is that some of the most biggest prejudiced people, uh, and I did this on a previous video, who don't want to accept the actual facts, black and white, about the invention of email are Indians because Indians have been bamboozled and brainwashed over the last 400 years um, through what you actually talk about, quote unquote, white supremacy, which has nothing to do with whites per se, but to people bowing down to a concept of skin color, and Indians have done that. And they, as a result of that, they cannot even acknowledge their own inventions or innovators, including the ancient systems of Indian medicine. So if you look at the science of Siddha and Ayurveda, which have existed for thousands of years, tens of thousands of years, um, there's a lack of understanding. So I would argue Indians in India are more going towards allopathic medicine than Americans are. So it's very interesting. Americans and the, the West are actually fascinated by yoga, right? Fascinated by ancient systems of medicine. And the 1.6 billion Indians are moving rapidly away from this, thinking everything requires a drug. You can get so many drugs over the counter that you can't get in India, uh, in the United States and India, which is quite fascinating. So I think for our audience, it'd be really interesting for, you know, because I have a global audience to understand this East-West dynamic and what a real yogi is in the, in the modern world. And so to me, a real yogi understands system science. Um, most people who practice yoga have no understanding of system science. So I think we should talk about that. But you know, my journey really begins. Say that again. Uh, I'm saying, like, do you feel that, you know, uh, Americans understand yoga better than Indians? Because you are there for a long time. Yeah, so the question is, do Americans understand yoga better than Indians? Well, I think the question is this. I think people in the United States, by and large, per capita, have a greater respect for yoga and traditional system of medicine that's growing than the Indians do today. It's actually declining in India and it's a very important dynamic to understand. So you have incredible people who have knowledge in India of yoga and their systems. But I would say, you know, 30 million people in the United States have touched yoga. That's 10% of the population, okay? It'd be interesting to know if 200 million people in India have practiced yoga in some form, okay? Because that would be about 10%. I'm not sure, maybe it is. But I think the important thing to understand is, you know, my, I think, um, I think my journey in some ways is quite unique because I was able to traverse these systems of East and West, science and tradition, ancient and modern. And what I was able to discover was that if you look at all the language in these ancient texts used to describe yoga and the ancient systems of Indian medicine, beats Siddha or Ayurveda, that those principles match one-to-one, -one, and I'll show you some work I've done, directly with engineering systems. So the, and they match, um, or they, and these principles can be applied to your body, they can be applied to physical health, they can be applied to mental health, but they can be applied to economic health, they can be applied to understanding politics. So, you know, the movement that, that I've recently built called Truth, Freedom, Health, 
and people can go to truthfreedomhealth.com is really the pinnacle of all this. Truth, Freedom and Health integrates the ideas of freedom, which is the movement of information, matter, and energy. Truth, which is our desire to take very different kinds of ideas, use the scientific method with the great rishis and yogis we're interested in and find truth. Truth is a, a refinement of all sorts of ideas, but you can't get to truth without having freedom. And then with freedom and truth, you can get to something called health because with health, um, then you have the strength to fight for truth and freedom. Now, why do I start? Why, why do I want to start with this? That systems perspective I just shared freedom, truth, and health, guess what, um, Abhilash, they're directly related, directly related, in fact, the same as Vatha, Pitta, and Kapha, okay? Vatha, Pitta, and Kapha, to the Westerners listening, in the ancient systems of Indian medicine, they had three terms, Vatha, Pitta, and Kapha. Vatha, and so when you went to a healer like my grandmother, you know, who was a village healer in our small village in India, she would look at your face and then she would figure out what kind of system you were. Now, she didn't say that, but she would say, oh, this is a Vatha body type, or this is a Pitta, or this is a Kapha. And then based on your body type, she would then, she would then figure out what were the particular disturbances in your body, okay? That took you off course. So in the Indian system, your body type was known as your Prakriti, which is your system. Now, they had another term called Vikriti. Vikriti was your dysfunction from your system. Um, you know, about 20 years after what I'm just sharing with you here, you know, one of the things I did was I created a way for any human being in the world not to have to travel all the way to India to really understand these systems. Um, and I created a tool called Your Body, Your System. And um, uh, let me bring it up. So your body, your system is a very powerful tool that gives people the ability. Um, I'll bring it up shortly, but your body, your system gives people the ability to understand by answering a few set of questions, what kind of system they are um, and how their body is a unique system and how foods, exercises disturb their system. So I did it in a very systems way. And so it's taking it out of having to fly all the way to India. Okay. But more importantly, um, in 2007, when I finished my PhD, I went back to India and I did a very detailed study to try to understand, because I've been, what's that? In 2007, right? 2007. Yeah. When I went back to India, I did my Fulbright in really trying to understand these ancient systems of medicine. And what I uncovered was that the ancient systems of Indian medicine, which have existed for tens of, tens of thousands of years, match one-to-one -one with engineering systems principles. So the principles that went into developing the iPhone are the same principles that exist in your own body, okay? So yoga and Ayurveda are not some medical systems. They're actually an engineering system. And the concept of meditation and yoga, when you sat down and you applied these principles to your body, in my view, you know, I consider myself a Rishi in some ways, a teacher and a scientist, was to use your body as a vehicle to understand these principles. So let me sort of show this to you in a very simple way. Um, let me uh, share my screen here. I think I should be able to do this. Let me go to the, because um, you're on Zoom over here, right? So let me share the screen here, and I think it'll make this apparent to people. So, um, oops, wrong one. 
Let me make this one. Are you there? Okay. Let me share my screen here. What's that? Uh, yeah. Let me find my screen here. Where is it? Here we go. Okay. So I'm going to share the screen here with you. And what I'm going to walk you through, by the way, we've created an entire curriculum now in the world. And can you see the screen or no? Okay. So, all right. So let me begin with this. So in when I got back from India in 2007, it took me almost seven years to get this paper published. Okay. And the paper is called the Control Systems Engineering Foundation of Traditional Indian Medicine, the Rosetta Stone for Siddha and Ayurveda. Okay. And I'm going to walk everyone through this, but what do I mean by this? Um, well, in the ancient systems of, and, and I think it's being shared, right? You can see it. Okay, so in the ancient systems of Indian medicine, right, um, the, the concept, right, of the body as a, um, you know, engineering system, right, was relatively new for most people to understand, all right? And in those systems of medicine, um, let me share the entire screen here. I think you can, you can see, what, do you see the, the screen with the... What do you see? The, see. the Ayurveda and Siddha, right? Uh, yeah, uh, I can see this, uh, the control system engineering. Okay, good. Oh, okay, great. So let me just share that with everyone here. So to everyone listening, when you look at this uh, analysis here, this paper that I wrote, um, the goal was that I wanted to really convey to people there's a foundational way to understand every system in the world. And in fact, all systems in the world have the same common principles. And that's what I really uncovered. And that uncovering um, allows us to really take things to a very, very different way of understanding. So let me go back to this. If you see this, um, all right. So that was a paper and what did I uncover? So let me go over to this. So along the top here, and by the way, we have an entire course called Truth, Freedom, and Health. We educate people every Mondays on this. But in the world, there are two kinds of systems, intelligent systems, which is this, and a dumb system. So very simply put, every dumb system just has an input and an output, okay? Input and an output, like a light bulb. Input, you turn on electricity, you get light. But every system in the universe, even a dumb system, has these five principles, input, output, but more importantly, it has this concept of movement of information, matter, and energy, which is called transport, the conversion process, and storage. Um, so if you think about a light bulb, you turn on the switch to the light bulb, electricity is transported through the system, and in the bulb, the electricity is converted by the filaments to light, and the light bulb stores all that. Does that make sense? Very simple system. Got it? All right. Now, if you take a more advanced engineering course at MIT or in any control systems, you'll find out that an intelligent system isn't simply just a light bulb input and output. An intelligent system has four other components. It has a goal. Intelligent systems want to go somewhere, okay? So for example, if you wanted the light to be certain brightness, right? Or um, you would set a goal. I want the you know, room to be very bright. And there's a sensor which would track the brightness of the bulb and a controller would input more electricity if the bulb was getting dim, right? If, if it, or, or if the room is getting, and that's, and, and in the face of disturbances. 
Without getting into details, an intelligence system has these nine principles, a goal, a controller, a sensor, and a disturbance, all right? Again, I'm, I'm doing a three-day a three program in about two minutes here, okay? Now, if I were to take you to studying the Indian systems of medicine, this is what I uncovered. In India, and if you take a yoga class, people say, oh, karma, right? What is your karma? The word karma is used very in a very wrong way. Karma has nothing to do with what people have been told. Karma really is right action. And there's another word in Sanskrit called karma fall, which is a fruit of action. Okay? And so when you take action, the forces of vatha, pitta, and kapha are, are um, you know, uh, affected in your body. Vatha in the Indian system was known as a term which talked about space and air. Pitta was talked about fire. And kapha was related to um, water and, and earth. Okay? And, um, and that's sort of where it is. So most people thought that's what they are. So if you go to an Ayurvedic person, I always say Vata is composed of air and fire. Uh, I mean, air and space. Pitta is fire and Kapha is earth and water. But what you really think about it, Kapha is structure because what happens when you co combine earth and water? You get matter that's like cement. Pitta is a conversion element and Vata is the element of motion. And I'll get back to this. Now, if you started studying yoga, you would learn other terms, sankalpa, indriyas, vikaras, and manas. And what I did was, and the reason no one has ever done this like this, what I realized was sankalpa is your goal, your mission in life. Manas are your mind, the ability to take action, decisive action, and indriyas are your senses, and vikaras are the disturbances. So what you put this together, what you find is, on the left side here are how you're taught in at MIT in engineering system, okay? And on the right, you see Siddha and Ayurveda. By the way, Siddha is not just an herbal system. Siddha includes yoga, meditation, herbs, all of those systems. But fundamentally, no one has ever done this ever in human science to put this together. And what you uncover is that the ancient systems of Indian medicine are an engineering system. And the engineering system of modern science is really related to Siddha and Ayurveda. So this is quite profound because what it shows is that everything in the universe is a system and the system's principles are invariant, which means whether they existed a thousand years ago or whether they existed, you know, modern engineering control systems principles were recently discovered, um, you know, perhaps, you know, about a hundred years ago, okay? And so that's what you uncover. What you uncover is that the ancient systems of Indian medicine are really an engineering system science. So what we have done is we have taken this entire system of Indian medicine, reframed it in a very different modern way, and we teach it, okay? So we have about 350,000 people all over the world, and that is taught as a foundation of the truth, freedom, and health system. Truth, freedom, and health is a system. It starts by teaching people this fundamental science. Now, why is this important? Because once you understand this, you can apply it to health. Everyone should actually be their own doctor. Hippocrates said he is a fool who is, not, who, is his, who, is his, who is not his own doctor, okay? And so the goal, and, but how do you become your own doctor? Well, most doctors don't even understand that the body is a system. They're very foolishly trained. So the, the, what I've uncovered here, I can teach people this in about three hours. 
And I can, in fact, in fact, I taught a course at Harvard at the, uh, and you had yogis and all these people. Most yogis don't even understand what the Indian system of medicine is. I'm sorry to say they don't. It's been made into something it isn't. It's been very narrowed. So what I've uncovered in a very profound way, because I grew up in Indiana, because I grew up in the United States, got both of these training, is the science of systems. And that's what truth, freedom, and health is. It explains to people, now you can apply this to your physical health. Um, you can apply this to your uh, scientific systems, anything, computers, innovation. And you can apply it to building a company. You can apply to politics. So when we say truth, freedom, and health, that's no different than Vafa Pitha Kapha or transport, conversion, and storage. You follow? And you need all three forces. So a country, a people should be judged or society. How much freedom do they have? Because without freedom, you're not going to have great innovation in science. Um, some people may know when I was in India, after I finished my Fulbright in 2009, 10, I was recruited by the Indian government, by the prime minister of India. I was um, given the award as the first outstanding scientist technologist of Indian origin. And I, I spent another two years in India, uh, or, or six months actually, being appointed by Manmohan Singh at the time to run the largest innovation center in India. And in about six months, I discovered a lot of innovation doesn't occur in India because India is still under the feudal yoke of colonialism that goes back, you know, 300 years. So many of the Indian institutions still have, particularly the government institutions. And when I uncovered this, I found out there were a lot of amazing scientists in India who are, are living in an old British feudal system. If you actually do great innovations, you're actually suppressed in India. Some of the greatest innovators and scientists in India had to leave and come to the United States, Gobind Karana being one of them. He couldn't get a job as a lecturer in India. And then when he came to the United States, he became a Nobel Prize physicist. So I discovered amazing people in India, incredible scientists, but because of the feudal system, they're suppressed. So think about India. India prior to the coming of the British, British used to, after they came to India, British used to steal Indian shipbuilding blueprints all the way up until the 1800s. India was quite an innovative place. But one of the things of colonialism was it actually suppressed that innovation in India, suppressed freedom and made Indians think that only white people could innovate. And in fact, more white people recognize... What's that? Who, who's doing? Yeah, but I know them. They could even do much more better, but they could do much more better. Okay. My point is this. It's not about saying, oh, this person's doing a good job. The over systemic issue here is this. And by the way, the United States is also being a, a, a affected now. The social media in the United States is completely censoring human beings. So the United States is also in a very dangerous position right now because the freedom of the American people is completely being controlled right now because through social media, and as a result of that, you have significant amounts of um, attack on actually ideas and innovation. So that's also taking place. That's, that's one thing people need to also understand. But anyway, truth, freedom, and health are intimately related. And the reason this comes back to the invention of email that people can understand is that when I invented email, email um, occurred in a very interesting environment, email was created not at MIT. It wasn't created by the military. It was created by me, a 14-year-old kid 
in a very small medical college in the heart of Newark, New Jersey, which is one of the most, which is one of the most poor cities still in the United States. All right. So think about what I'm saying. Email was created not at MIT, not in Silicon Valley, not by the military. Email was invented by me, a 14-year-old boy who worked very hard, was pretty bright, who applied himself, but it was done in Newark, New Jersey. Newark, New Jersey uh, is one of the poorest cities in the United States, and a small medical college was there, and that's where email was invented. So what is email? What is email? We have to understand, and what is a problem I saw, because ultimately innovation and what yogis were doing um, yogis were actually innovators. Yogis were educators, okay? That's what a real yogi was. They were looking for solving problems. They would understand the scientific principles of the world and they would apply it to their body or their world around them. So when you look at the invention of email, in, in, the invention of email was really a very interesting problem because I was a 14-year-old boy and in 1978, computers were just coming into being. A, a computer would literally take up an entire room, okay? And... In those days, computers were just barely, you could send simple text messages, small messages. Um, uh, so here's a, here's a racist individual or a stupid individual. ARPANET was the first email. It's absolutely forced. So this, frankly, idiot doesn't understand what email is. First of all, it was never called email. I'm the one who came up with the term second. Um, this is sort of the racism here because this fool doesn't understand what email is. So I want to really highlight this, someone who's saying ARPANET was the first email. So this robot is simply repeating what he sees on Wikipedia. First of all, what was done in 1970 was a caveman version at best of WhatsApp, Abhilasha, okay? And it was done by a guy who wrote 15 lines of code to simply take text and add it to a bottom of a digital file remotely, that's it. At best, it was a caveman version of Facebook or caveman version of Reddit, okay? So um, so I wanna explain to this fool why he's a fool, okay? And the reason he's a fool is because a lot of people do not want to recognize because when they, like this, this guy is writing, fuck you to me, example, okay? Why is he writing that? Because he's actually a racist. Any, and, and you don't have to be white. Anyone who has a visceral reaction to seeing this face and that 14-year-old boy and saying, oh, you didn't invent email, that's a white supremacist because they haven't even bothered to look at the facts. So what are the facts? In 1970s, okay, who used a computer? It was old white guys with lab coats. And you had to use very cryptic commands. And um, one of the important things to understand is that on those systems, you could send very simple text messages. That's not email. If text messages are email, that would make texting email, right? That's not email. What is email? Well, in those old offices, um, in those old offices, you had something called the inter-office mail system. The inter-office mail system was a very complex system, okay? It was a system. And this is what these foolish people do not understand because they don't understand systems. What is a system? A system has all those nine principles. A system in those days, Abhilasha, was this inner office mail system. And let me share with you some pictures here so it'll make it a little more clearer to you. Um, that system was composed of a 
interconnected system of parts, okay? Um, I think I have a, an example here, good, okay. So if you can see the screen here, I hope you can see it here, can you see it? I can see now. Okay, let me also share it here, also here. So if you consider this system being a very, very complex system, okay? So, so now you understand sort of quick system science now. And what this system consisted of was, and by the way, here's Time Magazine, 2011, when they did their research, they found out, yes, I did invent email. But you have to understand what email is because foolish people don't want to understand what email is. Email, and the best way I can explain, I'm going to play a video. If you can, uh, I think you should be able to hear this video. Um, let me see if you can hear it. So I'm going to play this video for people. All right. Can you hear it? You can hear it, right? All right. So let me pl let me play this video for everyone. Here we go. One second, Abhi, Abhilesh. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna. Uh, one second, everyone. I'm gonna uh, play it, play it for everyone. One second. Because people on uh, my stream can't hear it, so I'm gonna just start it from the beginning. Okay. You can see it, right? All right. So let me. So so to everyone listening, um, what I so Mo Roca thirty three years later after everyone uncovered what was email and went into the Smithsonian. And after all the abuse I did, Mo Roca from CBS, uh, who's a very respected journalist, actually did a, um, a, a video on this. So let me share this with you, okay? So here we go. All right, so here we go. So let's uh, play this here. Um, and everyone should be able to hear it, all right? Here we go. I have a question. When was the last time you licked an envelope? Remember that I just licked glue face? Ah, the olden days. Well, our electronic life is very different now. How many times have you already checked your email today? Well, there's actually one man who's hugely responsible for that. And he almost single-handedly made that glue licking face extinct. Next time your fingers hit the keyboard to write a quick email, you might want to say thank you to Shiva Ayadore. Specifically, thank the 14-year-old version of him because he's credited with inventing email as a young boy in New Jersey in the late 1970s. Hi, Shiva. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Mom. Glad to be here. How did email even come about? Share some of the important steps in the development of this. My parents and the invention of email in many ways are probably one of the best examples of the realization of the American dream. Born in India, Shiva lived in the slums of Bombay before his parents made the bold decision to move to the United States and give their family a new life. A new life that Shiva took full advantage of, finishing high school by 14 
and enrolling in a summer program at New York University. Shiva found a job in the office of a medical college. His task was to transform the paper-centric inter-office mail system into an electronic one. And the software he developed was very much like the email we all use today. Every secretary on their desktop was a thing called the inbox. So everything we see today in every email program in the world, inbox, outbox, folders, address book, return receipt, to, from, subject, BCC, all of these elements and more all came from the inner office mail system, which was a physical system that was used in every office in the world. It was the first end user software application which made computing accessible to ordinary people. Shiva has four degrees from MIT. He's created multiple companies, and he also happens to be married to television actress and producer Fran Drescher. And when it comes to innovation, he is passionate about passing it on. I really believe that being an inventor and a scientist is not complete without also being a humanist and thinking about how we can give back to the world and change it. Thank you, Shiva. We wish you continued success. Thank you, Mo. All right. So that came out. So the history of that. So, so the, the facts are just black and white on this. All right. I have never claimed to create electronic messaging. Does that make sense? Electronic messaging is a transfer of messages um, between uh, two electronic devices. All right. That would. Uh, and that's what Samuel Morris did with the telegraph. Sending text messages between two mainframe computers is not it's not email. Okay. So what happened was in 1978, I converted that entire inner office mail system, hundreds of features, 14 year old kid, 50,000 lines of code, named it email as a 14 year old, a term never used before. And then in 1981, I got the first United States copyright. I have the actual legal right. Now, why would anyone say that I didn't invent email? Either you have to be a racist, either you have to be hating yourself as an Indian when you see the facts. I'm talking to Indians particularly because most white people get it. But it is the Indians in India who've been brainwashed because they're actually white supremacists. And I talked about this. Indians in India are white supremacists. It may seem like a contradiction. And the reason they're white supremacists is because for 400 years of oppression, they were made to think that only things created by white people were good. That's white supremacy. White people are actually very interested in yoga. White people want to understand herbal medicine. White people want to understand Ayurveda. Working class whites in the United States, when they see the facts, they say, of course, this guy invented email. But an Indian says, oh, what do you mean you invented email? Uh, that could not have been done by us. That must have been, you know, the ARPANET. Bullshit. The facts are I converted it, named it email. I have the copyright. Now, what's interesting is the problem in being an way I was brought up was Indians weren't good at promotion. So that was in 1978, 1981, when I came to MIT. It was on the front page of the MIT newspaper. No one had any problems. I won many awards, but I didn't promote it. It was only, you know, about 30, 33 years later when my mother was dying in a suitcase, she had saved all of these materials about the invention of email, okay? And uh, the and uh, a very uh, interesting guy. Can you see my screen here? Okay, I don't know what I'm sharing here. Um, a, a the editor of Time Magazine, um, who actually came 
and reviewed all the materials and 33 years later, wrote an article called The Man Who Invented Email. Now, I think time, uh, and he was a senior technology editor, Doug Ameth. So to those of you um, looking at this, let me share this with you. So Doug Ameth of, of, uh, wrote this article um, called The Man Who Invented Email. All right, there it is. For that racist fellow who didn't want to believe it. So, you know, it's up there, okay? And, he, and very nicely, it's clearly described what is email, okay? Email is not the simple exchange of text messages. Is that clear? Yes. If you think it's simple exchange of text messages, then texting is email, Facebook is email, everything is email. In fact, the telegraph is email. So these people are very clever because they do not want to give credit, not only to me, but the fact email was done outside of the military industrial complex. They it's like, imagine if the car, imagine someone was using a bullock, bullock cart until 1978 and someone invented the car in 1978. Then imagine saying, oh, the car is also the bullock cart. I'm going to change car to refer to the bullock cart. You follow? All right. So this is black and white. So the reason I wanted to share this is there's absolutely no controversy that I invented email. Um, the problem people have is understanding that email is a system. Email is not simply the exchange of text messages. Is that clear? Because if you thought email was that, then you might as well say the telegraph was email. You might as well say fax was email. You might as well say all those things. Email is a system of the entire inner office mail system in electronic form, inbox, outbox, folders. And I was the first to do it. Am I saying someone else would have potentially done it? Sure. But I was the first to do it. And I have the copyright. And I have all the data. So what is the problem then? You have to ask, given everything I've shared with you, why is there any controversy? And that itself leads to a much bigger story. Why is there a controversy about this? There should be zero controversy. And the reason this controversy occurs is the fact that it occurred not at MIT. It didn't occur at a big scientific institution. It occurred at a small medical college, right? And by the way, you can do your own research. I have the copyright issued to me on August 30th, 1982. This is a legal document. There's no controversy for email, the computer program. Huh? Yeah, so, so I have the copyright. I, you know, I, I wrote the system as we know today. Um, and so the real fascinating issue for me in this entire topic, as a friend of mine, very smart guy, he said, why is there even a controversy? Why is there a controversy about who invented email? Why was a controversy fabricated? And that leads to a much deeper issue, Abhilasha, uh, uh, and that's this. When I was at MIT, I invented many things. I was on the front page between 2000 and 1981 for inventing many things. You can go, I won every award at MIT. But in 2011, when this article came out and went into the Smithsonian, then all the racism comes out. Why? The racism, the casteism, the classism, the everything comes out. Why? Because email was not invented at MIT. It wasn't invented. You see, we brainwash people to think that all great innovations must come from war, particularly in America. Americans have been brainwashed to think that you go fight a war and then... Um, and then you get innovation. So killing is good. And so they have said the military invented email when they didn't. Email was done for solving a civilian problem. 
I was allowing, enabling women who were suppressed in those days. Women were only supposed to be a nurse, a teacher, or a house, you know, mother. That's it. They could only do four things or secretaries. And so, you know, uh, uh, women would work on these typewriters. The bosses would tell them what to do. That was it. But I moved women from the typewriter to the keyboard. That's what I did. That was a liberating move for women. And a 14-year-old boy did that because I had respect for women. I did not think that they were dumb and stupid, which is what the old white men thought in those labs. They said, oh, this woman cannot use a computer, right? But I created the interface. I made it easy. That was email as we know it today, period. So every woman out there should know that it was a 14-year-old boy who brought the digital aid to women. I did that. And I have to, the other thing um, is to recognize why credit matters. It took me 40 years to fight for credit and to, in fact, think you should get credit. I always thought you worked hard and people give you credit. But I found out there's a lot of thieves in the world. They actually steal your credit. And the reason they do that is, and the reason credit matters, it tells you origin of where innovation comes from, where creation comes from, where real divinity exists. And the, from a yoga, yogic standpoint, email came from my loving family, some incredible teachers, and a mentor. You see? Email did not come from MIT going and fighting war, the military industrial academic complex. And this is why the invention of email, uh, people try to make it an invisible story. Because the invention of email explodes all these myths and it gives people back their power, because that says your child could be the next inventor of email. In fact, it was a 14-year-old boy invented the uh, TV. So many inventions have come from everyday people, not from the military-industrial complex. And that's the important thing to understand. And this is why, you know, in my election in the United States, you have we the, the movement that we've created, Truth, Freedom, and Health, is as big as an innovation as email or Cytosol or my discoveries of integrating Eastern and Western medicine. And for people in India listening, you know, I hope people in India break from their colonial mindset because that's still where a lot of Indians are stuck in. And the youth have an opportunity to break from that. And people in the United States, right? And people in the United States, unfortunately, are headed into that colonial mindset, what I call the swarm, by believing in people like Elon Musk. Elon Musk has, frankly, never invented anything. It's all marketing. Every company he started, all he did was try to seize control of those companies. But you're taking people who weren't really that great inventors and promoting them to manipulate people that all great things come from Silicon Valley and a few people. And you suppress stories like mine. And the reason it's suppressed is not about me, but to manipulate people to think all great things come from the few. Does that make sense? So, so you were talking about this uh, Indians, right? That Indians are not accepting this particular... Well, no, no, no. It's not Indians are not accepting it. The smart Indians understand it. Okay, you can talk to Arvind Gupta, who was the advisor to Modi. Okay, mm -hmm. Arvind gets it. I'm talking about the large strata of Indians who are still mentally under the yoke of colonialism. Okay? When you... That's what I'm talking about, okay? Anyone who is actually open and reviews this will say, of course he invented email. But if you go to an, we should do a, we should actually do some tests. Go on the streets of Bombay and say an Indian invented, oh no, that's not possible. 
right? That'd be, and if you showed the picture of that 14 year old boy, how would they react? How would they react? Right? Right. And I'm saying, right. And I'm saying that visceral reaction is what I'm talking about. Okay. That immediate reaction that shows a brainwashing. And that brainwashing has been done over 400 years of British colonialism. That's what's happened. So it's actually easier for an American to say, oh, he invented email. It's much harder to convince an Indian. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yes, I got it. And that is the white supremacy I'm talking about. You don't have to be in a white skin to be a white supremacist. Does that make sense? All right. So anyway, um, so I think we've shared, look, my life is not determined by uh, being recognized for the invention of email. If I wanted that, I would have, in 1981, I would have hired a PR agency. I was very interested in systems, uh, medicine, and it was only in 2011 when this controversy was fabricated that I have to defend myself. But everyone in the world knows that I invented email. Wikipedia, by the way, is a very racist organization. When the story came out, they went and destroyed my page. People went and tried to change it. There were blog posts saying this curry stained Indian should be beaten and hanged. Let me repeat that again. People put out blog posts saying this curry stained Indian, how dare he say he invented email? All right. Now, why is that? Why is that? And the interesting thing is, no Indian stood up for me. If that, if I were Jewish, every Jewish person would have been saying, what are you talking about? You can't talk like that about a fellow Jew, right? So that also shows another slavery, okay? So it comes back to my point, a real yogi, I consider myself a true yogi, is an uncompromising warrior for truth, freedom, and health. And our personal lives and our public lives are fully integrated. How many politicians today say, Oh, yes, uh, you know, I cheated on my wife and I don't take care of my kids. I'm abusive, but I'm going to be a good politician. You see what I'm saying? You follow? That's So a true yogi is uncompromising for truth, freedom, and health because they know you have to have freedom, you have to have health, and you have to have science. All three, or innovation, all three have to exist. So you can't just be doing yoga exercises and doing all these pranayama. And meanwhile, you allow corruption to take place in, in the world, right? That's what Sadhguru does. Sadhguru allows that, okay? And, and the yoga, quote unquote, gurus in India allow that. And you can't just be a scientist just writing code or building companies without also being physically healthy. How many people you see that are 200 pounds overweight and they are coding software or they're doing science. That's not a healthy person. And nor can you just be fighting for freedom without being healthy and uh, applying science. You say you need all three. Truth, freedom, health. Vata, pitta, kapha, transport, conversion, storage. You get it? That's why the movement that we've created is a very powerful system. It is not just, it's a system that I've created like the invention of email. Um, uh, truth, freedom, and health itself, Abhilasha, is a system, if that makes sense, okay? Truth, freedom, and health itself is a system. Does that make sense? And yeah. and what is it? And so I just want to share this with you. And I want to play another video for you. Truth, freedom, and health 
is a system. It's a system that integrates all these components. So let me share that with you and the audience here. So if people go to truthfreedomhealth.com, I would say this is one of my greatest inventions beyond even email and beyond Cytosol because it's really something that can change humanity. So if you look at this, what is truth for health? My great grandfather, who is an indentured servant, literally a slave, said ultimately that it is education that changes the world. So truth for health, I teach people the foundations of systems. I have all these books we've put up online. We've created a community. We teach people how the body is a system. Let me show this to you. So when people join Truth Freedom Health, the fundamental thing that we're talking about is there's lots and lots of information out there, right? But in spite of all that information, if you look at it not as a whole, if someone says, oh, he didn't invent email, email was in 1971. Well, they're talking about simple text messaging. That's not email, idiot, okay? Like this idiot was trying to do. Inbox, outbox, folders. When you open an email system, it's very different than when you open Facebook, right? Very different than when you open WhatsApp. Very different than when you open your text message. Got it? They're different systems. So if you're people who lie and steal and manipulate people, they deal in ignorance. They look at the system and they purposefully choose a piece. Okay? And ignorance leads people to complacency and desperation and division. In fact, you can see, in spite of all the information we have in the world today, Nearly 650 million people are anxious and depressed. 51% of the people feel hopeless. 40% want to overthrow their governments. Two and a half billion people in the world are obese. In the next seven years, 50% of the world is going to be overweight, obese. Okay? 25% of them being children. Now, so information doesn't lead to liberation. In fact, what information ignorance is doing is getting people confused. Some people get desperate. Some people say, oh, I'm just going to go sit under a, uh, you know, I'm just going to go meditate all day, right? I'm going to leave the world, right? That kind of thing, right? Or I'm going to vote for XYZ party left, or I'm going to vote for BJP or Congress, right? Or Democrat or Republicans. And what you realize is that these people who we consider our friends, Donald Trump or left and right or Sadhguru, these people are just entertainers, they're really the machinery of ignorance. They don't teach people something more profound, wisdom. They don't teach people the knowledge of systems, what I just shared with you. And what I've done is, and, and when people understand the knowledge of systems, they get liberated. They become active. They want to be organized in their communities. But in order to get this, people have to let go of the old way of thinking, and they have to become their own gurus or their own yogis, Abhilasha, okay? And in order to do... What's that? Why do you feel like you know, is? Well, why do you feel why do you feel like he is? Yeah. No, why do you feel like he is doing this work? Because I listen to some of his uh, talks. Yeah. Right, but right, but let's let's. I mean, this is a longer conversation. We could do a whole thing on him if you want. Okay. But the bottom line is, he is not liberating people to build a movement. During the uh, pandemic, he was promoting vaccines, vaccine mandates, all right? So after that, him and Deepak... Uh, there is one video as well uh, with Dr. Deepak Chopra and his, like, you know, where he has, like, he was in the initial state and he was not posting vaccine at that time. He was, like, you know, uh, definitely he was... Uh, 
No, he was promoting. He was you had you could not go to his ashram. You could not go to Deepak's any of his things. That's what they say. You had to be vaccinated. Okay, they were promoting vaccine mandates, and these are two people. I did. I was a true yogi in 2020. I educated people on the immune system. My videos went viral all over the world. That's the job they should have been doing. So let's be very clear. Since we're talking about them, since you brought it up. Sadhguru and Deepak Chopra were promoting vaccine mandates. In fact, if you wanted to go to a Deepak Chopra retreat, you had to be vaccinated. I have the screenshots, okay? All right. So here, India has this amazing tradition of boosting the immune system. These guys were quiet. Then they waited afterwards. You see, they wanted to be both. That is what I'm saying. Their personal integrity and their professional integrity doesn't match because they're politicians. And this is why change doesn't occur. Because oh, any, anyone, any idiot can say a lot of good things. I can read Trukarul to you all day today. I can read Shakespeare. And I can sound like an amazingly wise person. All right? Let me finish this, and I'll come back to that. But what we have created is a system. You don't have to pay tens of thousands of dollars and bow down to a guru or go to Deepak Chopra or go to a big university. You know, I used to teach this at MIT. People used to pay me thousands of dollars. We've made it so accessible to people. So when you take this program, number one, I teach you all the science of systems, everything I learned at MIT. So we have hairdressers taking the course. We have welders, politicians, MD, PhD. So you take, you can study it with others. We have a learn, teach, and serve model. So first of all, you will get a graduate level PhD course, not only in systems, but in Ayurveda and Siddha and in polit political theory in one course. And after you take that, we give all the books away. And then you get the, this is all given away. And then I teach you Ayurveda. I teach you how your body is a system, how you can apply, how your body can be off course. Everything my grandmother did, we made it accessible than everyone else. And we've, you, it'll actually figure out what is the right solution for you. What are the right yoga exercises for you? What are the right um, foods for you? And that's only one of the four things. And then we have, give, we educate people on research, we do special lectures every once in two months, right? And all of this is included. We teach people how to teach others. I do one-on-ones, but we have a global community now, about 400,000, half a million people. Half a billion people know about this, but on the political side, we're not here trying to, you know, be everything to anyone. When the, when the vac, in March of 2020, it was me and our movement which educated millions of people on the ground about the immune system, why masks were not the right thing to do. We opposed them at the right time. We didn't wait two years and write books and papers around it. So anyway, what we've done here, Abhilash, is we've taken the knowledge of East and West, political theory, right, engineering theory, and put it all together. And the future of the world relies not on politicians, not on gurus, not on a leader. It relies on you. And what Truth, Freedom and Health ultimately is, it's a system that um, enables you to become a guru. Does that make sense? This is about you taking accountability for your life and those around you. It's not about me leading someone. I'm merely a very, very humble educator. So what I've done is I've taken engineering systems theory, the theory of Ayurveda and Siddha, put it all together with political theory, it's really the science of everything. So in three hours, so give you an example. We had a woman who does nails. She's an esthetician. She was teaching a PhD in Chicago about system science. 
That is real education. So we're taking everyday people and we're giving them the power of understanding system science. So then anyone who comes out of our movement is a leader in their communities. And by the way, anyone who goes through our program, um, they pay a very nominal amount of donation, like a hundred bucks. But after they finish it, they can give it to as many children as they want. I went back to my village in India and I gave it away to 1500 kids. So if you take it, you can give it to 1 million kids in India. Because our goal is the youth really need to understand systems thinking. Because without the knowledge of system science, what's going to happen is people are going to be manipulated by the left and the right, Republican and Democrat. And everything becomes a duality. Going back to spirituality and yoga, there is no left or right in yoga, right? There's just truth. There's just freedom. And then there's health. And that can only come when you take a systems approach. So let me just play this video for you. And I think it'll make it a little more clearer to you. Um, I think I can bring it up here. I think I can do it this way. One second. Um, yeah, I can play it here. So hold on, everyone. I'm just going to play a very important video that'll really help you understand sort of the dynamics of what we've done here. Okay. Um, yeah, here we go. Okay, so this is a video that I did uh, to really explain to people um, what is, and I'm going to sort of share my screen here with you if that's okay. Can you see my screen now? Yes. Okay. And I think if I do this, um, okay, you can see that, right? All right. So I'm going to play this video. We have allowed our country to be taken over from within, and the end goal is you will have a homogenized world where we will become slaves because there is a condition among the elites that really thinks they're better than you deep down inside them that you don't deserve the freedoms you have they don't this reality is what people need to wake up to and we need to all unite working people there's only one movement that can do that and that is the movement that we started creating here in Massachusetts, the movement for truth, freedom, and health. Look, I've been a student of politics since I was a four-year-old kid, studying revolutionary movements, left wing, right wing. There's a physics, there's a nuclear science to destroying the establishment. To build a bridge, you need to understand Newton's equation. You need to understand the laws of gravity. You need to understand Poisson's ratio. There is a way to build a revolution. And that's why I put this together. My goal is to train a army of truth, freedom, and health leaders. We don't need followers like social media. We need leaders, but they need training because the educational system does not teach them history, nothing. So in three hours, that's what I've started doing. That's the solution. Wow. We gotta train people. First with understanding what a system is, the dynamics of all systems that affect nature. The second is understanding the interconnection between truth, freedom, and health. Freedom is the ability to move freely, communicate freely, talk freely. Without freedom, you cannot convert ideas hypothesis into truth, which is science. And without freedom, you can't really get to truth. And without truth, you make up fake problems and fake solutions, which means you destroy our health. And without health, which is the infrastructure of us and our body, you can't fight for freedom. Truth, freedom, health. Third concept is it has to be bottoms up. Working people, people who work uniting. And what the right wing has done is whenever you say working people unite, that must be communist. Meanwhile, they've let the Democrats run unions, which suppress workers, completely corrupt. But when you look at the arc of American history, it's been when working people came up. We need to go local. Every solution I'm coming up with as a part of this movement, we're giving the science, which is the truth, and then we tell people what they can do on the ground. Like with election fraud, 
You don't need to wait for some lawyer. Our goal is to train people to go local, to go local, to go local, fight locally. Forget lawyers, forget politicians, forget celebrities. You've got to learn politics, and there is a science to it. They lock us down, we should be ready to shut them down. And the fourth part of this principle is the not-so-obvious establishment. So when you look at a system, there's always something that disturbs you from getting to your goal. Well, the biggest disturbance is the not-so-obvious establishment, which are those people who claim they're for you, on the left and the right, the Al Sharptons who tell black people I'm for you, the Tucker Carlsons. Do you think any true anti-establishment person will ever be on Fox or CNN? I don't think so. They both mislead working people back into the establishment. Without this solid understanding of political physics and theory, you're screwed. You're going to follow on the left wing, Bernie Sanders, oh, he said something, or Robert Kennedy, scumbags. Or you're going to follow some right-wing talk show host. They're not going to lead us to liberation. It's us. We're building a bottoms-up movement, and that political physics, it's a nuclear science of change. Bottoms up. We have to organize to understand that there is people who talk a good game, and then look at what they actually do, left and right. I'm sorry, Sean Hannity may say some good things, but I don't see the urgency in his voice to get something done. And it can only come when you weaponize yourself with the right knowledge. You need to be able to identify a rat. You know, Christ didn't go after the Romans, right? It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees who screwed him up. His own, quote unquote, people. And that's where we're at. So these four concepts I've built into a curriculum where people can go to truthfreedomhelp.com and it's an educational program. We need to train people in political theory. You need to have physics. And I've created that curriculum. People need to get educated. We need to get educated fast. And within a half an hour, an hour, I can teach people two years of MIT control systems. I teach people those concepts. Then I apply it. Anyone can understand it. And then you say, oh, I got to build a bottoms up movement. They have to get politically astute and then they have to go locally and act, not sit there on social media. They have to act locally, defy locally, do civil obedience locally, but with knowledge on how to build a movement. And the Senate campaigns expanded to the movement for truth, freedom and health, and they can find it on truthfreedomhealth.com. So people can sign in, they can get access to a bunch of videos. If they want to take a course and become a truth, freedom, health leader, I offer a full scholarship there. But we want people to make a commitment that they'll study, that they'll get certified, that they'll go do activities on the ground. So go to truthfreedomhealth.com. So to all of you listening, you know, you know, we have now educated we have about a half a billion people throughout the world who know about this movement. Uh, in spite of all the censorship, we have about a half a million people throughout the world who've gone through the program in various forms. In fact, we have people in India, um, uh, quite a number of people in India, uh, lots and lots of people in the United States. And people are understanding that uh, especially people of all ages, they're recognizing that you cannot have left and right. Like there is a real solution to a problem. And I think people are recognizing that they don't trust many of these institutions anymore. So they're looking for a foundational way to look at the world. And that's what system science offers. So we have the science, we have a community, we've created the technology. So people can really learn this in a very profound way. And I'm saying the knowledge here is thousands of years old. It's the same knowledge that, by the way, about 10 to 20,000 people learn this knowledge. 
and they keep it to themselves and they use it to manipulate people, okay? Right, in the old days, certain rishis used to keep certain knowledge, right? They didn't share it with everyone because knowledge is power. So in many ways, my mission in life, separate from the invention of email and the other things, has been now to truly empower people with knowledge. And so I think people in India and the United States should recognize that we're taking Western systems of engineering knowledge and we've integrated with Eastern systems of medicine and we find that the principles are the same, the same nine principles. And once you understand these nine principles, no one can fool you. And more importantly, you have a solution to not follow some stupid politician all day and get used and bamboozled. And so that's why what, what, we're, what, we've, what, we're, what we've created here is quite dangerous. Um, but it's also very, very empowering, right? So you don't need a guru. What you need to do is you need to become a guru. And we've created the program for you to be a guru. I, yeah. I hope that... Well, uh, you know, depends on the tradition, okay? It depends on the tradition. There's many different forms of Hinduism, right? Many different forms of yoga movements. If you go back and you truly study the original movements of yoga, which I've done for many, many years, right? All, by the way, most of the systems of yoga to everyone listening have now been fractured. The original system of yoga was everything was together. Meditation, martial arts, herbal medicine, the use of heavy metals, right? What you call hot, all of this was together. Somewhere along the way, yoga itself got, dis, you know, uh, separated out into multiple subsystems. It was basically everyone created their own business. Meaning if you look at the, uh, the, the physical body has seven um, chakras, right? Um, some people took the lower chakra and called it kundalini yoga, and they created their own business. Other people did hatha yoga, the next two chakras. Other people did bhakti yoga, which was a heart chakra. Other people did, uh, uh, you know, the kirtans, right, singing. And other people did the third eye, and other people did surashabda yoga. I've, I've done all of those, but ultimately, all of these yoga systems itself were separated. And then you separated out from Siddha, Ayurveda was taken over here, right? Siddha was completely hidden for centuries for all sorts of reasons. So yoga itself has become reductionist. And you, so it's not the original system of yoga has been separated. But when you go back and look at the 8th century, when people like Sankaracharya were around, they said, if there's equality in heaven, why isn't there equality on earth? Very interesting question. Because the original caste system of India was originally created to have particular skilled jobs, right? So you were good at this. Uh, let's say you were a good carpenter. You did that. But it didn't mean that your son also had to be the carpenter the rest of his life. Right. Or if you're if you were right. So over time um, and in the eighth century in India, uh, some of the serious religious leaders like Sankaracharya and Ramanujam, they started saying, wait a minute, if they're if you're talking about the earth being so, you know, God, that, you know, we're all connected to one. If there's equality in heaven, why isn't there equality on earth? And between the 8th century to the 15th century in India was a bhakti movement. And most Indians don't even know about this history. And people should read a wonderful book called The Rise and Fall of the East India Company by Ramakrishna Mukherjee. I read it when I was 18 years old. It's, it's, there's only one copy I saw at Harvard, but what ended up happening was it was like the Protestant Reformation movement. As the bhakti movement spread, you saw caste sort of starting to dwindle away. 
You saw the rise of the merchant class and the artisans. This is before the British came. That's why in the early uh, 15th century and the, and the late 15th century, when the British came to India and then the Dutch, they were trading with these emerging traders. And so traders and merchants were revered as a better caste, okay? Now, what happened was, instead of letting that naturally develop, what colonialism did was, and the British were very clever, after the Battle of Plassey, they actually got this old Brahmanical priest and they recoded ancient Indian law, pre-8th century law, to reimpose a very old caste system. So the British actually imposed the modern caste system in India because it gave them nice structure. And a lot of Indians don't even know this. The caste system was disappearing before the British came because there was this very powerful yogic spiritual movement. And then the British reimposed it because it served for division. So most Indians don't understand. They're literally byproducts of Britain. Right? Indians are byproducts of Britain. I mean, a lot of people in America listening, you know, uh, America had a good revolution, um, violent and otherwise, and, and, and they got rid of the British. Right? But in India, something fascinating occurred when a revolutionary movement was coming in India, and there were people in the 1920s who wanted to have a good revolution. This is when Gandhi was transported in. And Gandhi's job was to quiet down that movement and transfer power from white men with crowns to brown men with white hats. That's what really happened. In fact, the Indian documents are not called the Declaration of Indian Independence. They're called what? The transfer of power. That's what happened. And this happened in all the colonial countries. The white men left, and then they left the brown people to suppress their people even more. They did a better job, but America had a good revolution. It gave people the First Amendment, the Second Amendment. And this is why the elites in the world now want to crush the American Revolution. And they want to take away the First and Second Amendment because from a global standpoint, it was the First and the Second Amendment which gave Vatha freedom, okay? Movement of information. That's why the United States, a much smaller country with only 330 million people, has a $22 trillion economy because of freedom. Because freedom allows people to talk about all sorts of crazy ideas. And out of freedom, you get innovation. But that, too, is being destroyed in the United States right now because of people like Elon Musk, who is a manipulated. He is telling people he's fighting for freedom, but he isn't. There's massive censorship on social media right now. So this is why I have a very unique perspective, having grown up in India, having studied Siddha and Ayurveda, growing up with a grandmother who was very di different and living in Bombay and living in the United States. So my life out of all these different things, I see the world in a much different way. And I think the, the Truth, Freedom and Health movement, that's why I recommend everyone go to truthfreedomandhealth.com. I mean, you don't have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars and go to IIT or MIT. So the future is going to be us building a movement, bottoms up, and that's called a renaissance and enlightenment. And that has occurred during various types of like the Satya Yuga, right? Where people were enlightened. And that's what we're on. Either the world is going to go into massive darkness or it's going to go to massive enlightenment. That's where we're at. And the way it's going to go to massive enlightenment is we must shatter this idea that a small set of people know better. That Sadhguru is some guru, okay? People need to realize they're the gurus. 
They need to stop thinking that a politician is going to save them. And these people are created to take people's power away. Because in, in, in all the ancient religions, Indian and Christian always said the kingdom of heaven is within you. Period. God is within us. Divinity is within us. Okay. And what we have uncovered or my work has uncovered, the science of systems connects heaven and earth. It's very practical. Again, with, with no exaggeration, what I've uncovered goes beyond religion and it helps each person become their own guru. And you don't have to wear a turban on your head and grow a beard, or you don't have to play certain music. You can, anyone can do it. Anyone. So, you, and you don't have to go to MIT and get 20 degrees. Okay. So that is really my gift to the world. Um, and it's a very dangerous gift because it exposes all of these people like the Kennedys and the Trumps and all of these people who think, oh, you have the name Kennedy, only you can be president, right? Or you have to be a billionaire to be president. And that's why I'm running for president in the United States right now, because I am an ordinary person who came from nothing. Nothing. Kennedy, he failed in school. His parents call up Harvard and get him in, right? Why should a person like that be running one of the freest countries in the world? I do like Modi to that sense from India. Modi came from relatively nothing, okay? You know, Rahul Gandhi is a freaking drug addict. He's a moron. He's an idiot. The only reason he's there is because the last name Gandhi. That's it. Otherwise, he would not exist. So we have to go back to recognizing that we've created a caste system. It's, it's, are we going to have a caste system in the world? Or are we going to have a system of meritocracy? That's the future. Right? Are you going to have people who are skilled? Or are you going to have people who are there because they're unskilled, but their mama and papa got them into some big school and they have a certain name? So the movement for truth, freedom, and health goes at this very fundamental understanding, and the goal is to liberate people at a deep level. Yeah, your thoughts, your ideas are very bold and unique. I think uh, people will, like, including me, people will take some time to absorb them and understand them. Yeah, take some time to absorb them. Um, it's a time to. It, it is an important time to absorb these thoughts. People have to decide. I don't know if you know, in the United States right now, um, the life expectancy in the United States is going down. Since 1980, the rest of the industrialized world is going like this. The United States is going down. Let me repeat that again. If you are an American and you have a child, your child is expected to live less number of years than you lived. So the life expectancy in the United States is going down. So think about what I'm saying. Why is that? It's because of all these policies. You don't get to see your doctor anymore. You don't get fresh food. People are massively stressed. They don't have family connections. All of these things have resulted in a decay of lifespan. And so how do you measure if a government is doing its job or society? Are they living long and prospering, right? And the same thing is going to occur to India in 10 years. 300 million people in India will have diabetes because they're eating crap food. They don't honor these ancient systems principles. So people have to decide and they should absorb these concepts quickly because the Indian obesity rate is going like that. 300 million people in India are going to have diabetes. Think about that. 300 million. So it's an amazing opportunity for all these pharmaceutical companies.
But yes. Indians right in their hand hold all the solutions, right in their hand. And you had people like Deepak Chopra and Sadhguru promoting vaccines. They didn't say, and if you say they didn't, they didn't say anything during 2020. They should have been out there. They have this huge audience. Okay, take garlic, do this, do this, do this, do this, right? I think only uh, Baba Dev Ramdev was doing that, okay? So my point yeah. is that you cannot rely on these leaders because they're too closely connected with the elites. One day they'll say this and another day they'll say that, depending on where they can have money and power. It's just the way it is. So it's up to us. So I think I've said enough. I do want to end with playing an, a video of our campaign for president because it'll intersect everything. Let me play that for you, if you don't mind. Will that help you? Let me share this screen again. So um, you can see that, right? So let me, uh, to everyone listening, I'm going to play you a video that is really the video that is really our campaign for Truth, Freedom, Health, and my run for in uh who would have ever thought i'd be running for president of the united states of america i was born a low caste untouchable in india's caste system a system of aristocracy oppression and racism my name is dr shiva ayadure i'm an mit phd a fulbright scholar a scientist engineer entrepreneur and inventor my family and i left india to come to america on my seventh birthday i grew up in the working class neighborhoods of new jersey playing baseball, mowing lawns, painting houses, and coding software. My friends and neighbors are Blacks, Italians, Irish, people of all races. As a 14-year-old, I wrote 50,000 lines of software code to create the world's first email system and was awarded the first U.S. copyright for email, recognizing me as its official inventor at a time when copyright was the only way to protect software inventions. I did that long before I ever came to MIT, revealing that big innovations can occur anytime, anyplace, by anybody. Growing up, I saw politicians dividing us by race and religion in both America and India to have us fighting each other while they remained safe in their gated communities and in their playgrounds of Hollywood, Martha's Vineyard, and Silicon Valley. I'm a fighter. I fought racism and exposed their imperialist wars, fought for workers, and put my life on the line against global corruption. I never wanted to run for political office. All that changed when I saw working Americans as never before being duped by the establishment and the not-so-obvious establishment. Across left and right, we were being sold out and made to forget why we came to America and why America existed. Lawyers, academics, billionaires, celebrities and politicians, elites, Clintons, Kennedys, Bidens, Obamas, Bushes, black and white have hijacked America. They printed trillions for their friends. They delivered crumbling infrastructure, corruption and racism. They transferred trillions to themselves, dividing black and white, fear-mongering and fake science. Lockdowns and censorship, dirty air, food and water, pushing drugs upon us, making us sicker. We've been sold out. One set of rules for them and another for us. We deserve a warrior with a history of courage in putting everything on the line for you, who believes in you, not them, who has created a movement bottoms up for truth, freedom, health. I've exposed their lies at the right time, never waiting until it was popular. I've exposed their false gods who exist to lead you back to them. I've exposed their fake science of lockdowns and masking and provided you solutions to fight them and win and protect your immune system, saving millions. I exposed Fauci, galvanized the fire Fauci campaign when others remained silent. When they stole our election, we sued the government and Twitter in our historic 2020 federal lawsuit. 
exposing in bare view the government and big tech censorship infrastructure, the unholy alliance between government and social media companies. Where was Elon and his grifters? They stood by the sidelines and did nothing. They did not use their megaphones to help us when it could have made a big difference. Now our movement grows for truth, freedom, health, independent of all of them. Every day millions are learning the science of systems, the knowledge the elites do not want you to have, so you may learn how to think, stand up, and fight, independent of the establishment of left and right and their fake heroes. Now it's time for you to join the movement, to win back America, to win back truth, win back freedom, win back your health. That's why I'm running for President of the United States. This race is about you. This race is about truth, freedom, health versus power, profit, control. We've had enough. They think we'll fall in line and vote again for their lawyers, celebrities, billionaires, and chosen ones from above. We choose our heroes from below, from the rank and file who do what is right at the right time, not when it's convenient and popular. They can never represent us. What America needs is a movement by the working people for the working people who are educated, organized, decentralized, and fight for independence from their systems of control. And that movement exists. It's ready for you. We don't need them. We need us to go bottoms up, neighbor to neighbor. My journey, your journey are all the same. It's our time. It's time we had one of us. It's time to win back truth, freedom, health, to win back America, be part of this historic movement, all the way to our victory on November 5th, 2024. If you're an American citizen, pledge your vote now for Dr. Shivaya Duray, the independent candidate for U.S. president. No matter where you live, you can be a part of this. Volunteer as little as 20 minutes a day. Don't delay. This is Dr. Shivaya Duray, and I approve this message. Paid for by Dr. Shiva for president. All right. I think we've given you quite a bit of information, and I hope... Uh, you know, our brothers and sisters in India understand what we're doing now. I hope it helps you. Any other final questions you have? I know you have explained everything very well from your side, including Ayurveda, uh, Siddha, Yoga, everything connected with the, your freedom, freedom, growth, and health in the concept of this. Uh, you have explained it very well. So, and of course, uh, you have shared all the stuff, I will the videos as well. So, yeah, but of course, uh, I think this will be the different conversation for uh, Indian people, for me as well, because uh, we haven't spoken, like, you know, we don't speak or we don't discuss Ayurveda or yoga or health in this particular you know, context. So, this will be something different. So, let's see how people take it. Yeah, and uh, I think you should really, so to, to people in the United States listening, what's interesting is, um, and it's very fascinating for people in the U.S. listening, or people even outside of India, um, many people outside of India really love yoga. They embrace it, you know? They want to learn about Indian culture and all that, you know, because they see it as a very ancient and rich culture. In India, the opposite is occurring on some level. The people in India, because of what has occurred, um, you know, there's these, um, if, I give you an example. In a small village in India, if someone gets sick and they go to the local doctor and the doctor doesn't give them an injection for something, I don't know if you know this, they'll come back and they say, oh, that's a bad doctor. He didn't give me an injection. So let me explain that to everyone. So people in India think that Western medicine is a cure-all for everything. So if your child is sick and you take them to the doctor, 
the doctor has to give the child an injection so the villager thinks that the doctor really did some service. And if they don't, the person gets really upset and they'll say, that's a really bad doctor, right? You know this. And, and so, um, so the, but in the United States now, more and more people are starting to think, oh, what food should I eat, okay? How do I combine foods, right? Uh, what exercise should I do? So in, in many ways, the West is moving to the East and the East is moving to the West, okay? Meaning mentally. So that's why it's a very important time to bring the fruits of all of these together. And that's what we've done. I mean, there's a very important time to use Western medicine. It's a crisis tool. If you get surgery, you know, certain times if you get uh, horribly ill, right? At the late stage. But Eastern medicine is um, very, very powerful um, for maintaining your life. You know, one of the things that some people ask in the United States, Indians don't realize how, how amazing their culture is similar to Americans not realizing how amazing our freedom is. Exactly. It's a beautiful statement by Kristen. Okay. I don't know if you see that. Um, it's a very, very beautiful statement. She's saying Indians don't realize how amazing their culture is, similar to Americans not realizing how amazing our history for freedom is. It's really true. So India has this rich history of health and understanding. America's and science, and America has a rich history of freedom and science. If they can be brought together, we can really transform the world. And that's what I've done with Truth, Freedom, Health. So to everyone listening, um, if you're in India, you can't contribute to our campaign for president, but you can um, become a truth, freedom, and health warrior. We have hundreds of warriors now and scholars in India. We call them a warrior scholar. So go to truthfreedomhealth.com, sign up, join the movement. But India needs an educational movement too. And that's what we've created beyond just following some gurus and going, look, I'm not saying don't go to an ashram and a temple, do all those great things. But you need something much more substantial that can change you and your children's lives. That's what truth, freedom, and health is. Um, and uh, for those people in the United States, you know, you can support our campaign, shivaforpresident.com, and you can become a truth from health warrior. So go do both of them. It's a way that you can support yourself. Anyway, I hope this was valuable and it was good having this conversation with you. All right, good. All right, be the light. Okay, be well. Thank you. By the way, this means, you know, I bow down to the God within each one of us, right? Namaste. Okay, we honor everyone's divinity. Okay, that's what this means to people who don't know what it what it means. All right, thank you, um, and I'll 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 be in touch with you, and be well. Thank you. Should I end it? I'm going to end it. Okay, I'm going to leave. Thank you. So, to those of you listening, that was a Indian journalist who really wanted to understand what's going on uh, with the U.S. run for president. She wanted to understand. Um, you know, why is it that I, as a U.S. citizen who left India, why am I so interested in these ancient systems of medicine? So I hoped it helped. So all of you listening, there's multiple ways that you guys can participate. Also know that every Thursdays at 11 a.m. and 8 p.m., I do a open house. You can RSVP right there. Um, also remember that the amount of censorship that we undergo is quite extraordinary because of the truth we share. So share this video, like it. Tell as many people as you can about what we're doing. And to those people who are in the United States and want to, and anyone can volunteer, um, but know that I'm, I am running for president of the United States. And I don't think there's been ever a president before um, who actually has skills to educate people and enjoys educating people. I believe that's what the presidency should be. 
So go to shivaforpresident.com, donate, volunteer, but become part of this historic movement because we need to get on the ballot in every state and everyone can help, okay? And as Faith said, order bumper stickers. What you can do is a bumper sticker is an amazing thing. If you go to shivaforpresident.com, um, you can literally go to the shop right there and you can, you can get a what's called a bumper sticker, okay? And I'll put the um, sign up right here. Thanks, Faith, for reminding me. But you can go right up on the site. And let me show it right here. If you go to shivaforsenate.com slash shop, you can find this great bumper sticker. It's only like less than five bucks. Um, shipping is included. You'll get this bumper sticker. Put it on the back of your car. 100,000 people will see it per day. It's a very simple way to get the word out because the future is offline. The future is not online. The future is offline. Okay. Um, all right, everyone. And remember, they're going to make our campaign invisible because we are the danger to the swarm, to the establishment, because we are actually speaking pure, unadulterated truth. So get involved, become part of this awesome movement and support yourself and your family. Be well, everyone. Be the light. I uh, wish you all a very good night or good morning or good afternoon, uh, wherever you are. Be well.